Hello and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening for the first time, this podcast is a project created by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. Resolutions podcast provides engaging conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm one of your hosts. I am a divorce and family mediator and the founder of Dovetail Conflict Resolution in Chicago, Illinois. This podcast is one way we at the ABA are celebrating our program sponsors and thanking them for their support over the years. Today, I am sitting down with Mark Smalls of JAMS Mediation, Arbitration, and ADR Services. Mark is the Senior Vice President, Chief Marketing Officer with JAMS, where he oversees marketing and communication strategy globally and provides leadership to the manager's task with business development responsibilities. I am so delighted to welcome Mark to Resolutions Podcast today. Mark, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kimberly. It is truly a pleasure to be here. Good deal. Good deal. So listen, you know, you are with JAMS Mediation, Arbitration, and ADR Services. For those listeners who are unfamiliar with JAMS, can you tell us a bit about the company? Sure, I will be happy to do that. Uh, JAMS has been around for a little over 40 years. It actually started in Orange County, California, and started out primarily uh, around mediation. And the founder had a strong belief that there was a better way to resolve disputes than always litigating them. And uh, that vision led him to start JAMS and other people followed him back in, in those years and the company steadily grew to the point now where we have, I believe almost 450 neutrals uh, in the, around the world, uh, 27 offices, primarily in the US, but also uh, abroad. And as you mentioned, mediation and arbitration are our two largest uh, areas of focus, but we also are involved in other aspects of ADR as well. That's fantastic. And, you know, so impressive that uh, the company has grown globally such that you have, you know, approximately 400 neutrals. You know, when I think about just the expansion and growth of dispute resolution as a practice area, I get so excited um, knowing how things have started and certainly progressed over the years, which we'll chat about, you know, today, but wow, really impressive. So how long have you been with JAMS? Uh, actually, 12 years this month, um, specifically 12 years this week. So how about that? So how perhaps, about that? Uh, perhaps fitting that we're, we're talking about jams and, and the topics we're going to cover today, but it's, it's been a, a great 12 years, um, just wonderful company. Uh, I feel very proud of being part of an organization that our core mission really is helping businesses and individuals resolve disputes. It's a very people-oriented company in terms of how it's... Uh, how it treats its associates. So um, again, it's been a pleasure to uh, to have been part of the team this, this past dozen years. Well, congratulations to you, 12 years, that's fantastic. And you, know, you can just hear how much you really enjoy working with um, the company and serving out its mission, which is, which is wonderful on so many levels. 
So during the time that you have been with Jams, you know, what changes have you seen regarding the expansion of mediation, arbitration, and ADR services just in the legal community? Sure. Uh, I, I think that when I joined, there was already fairly uh, strong embrace of, of ADR in the U.S. That hadn't always been the case, but when I joined in 2009, it was you know fairly well established, especially in, in certain parts of the country. I mentioned that uh, JAM started in, in California, and, and that was one of the regions that adopted it you know very early on, and kind of spread to other areas of, of the country after that. Um, but one of the changes that I have seen is um, outside of the U.S. Um, arbitration has been around for a long time as a way of resolving disputes, cross-border disputes, um, and other issues where um, parties might not have wanted to uh, resolve a matter in the local court system. Uh, but mediation was a lot less uh, kind of a known and, and familiar entity. And one of the changes I've seen since I've been here is more of an uptick in the use of mediations in different parts of the globe. Um, I've seen that in Latin America, in, uh, in Europe, and in Asia, and that continues to, to grow. So um, that's one of the shifts that I've seen, Kimberly. That's great. And certainly, you know, as a mediator myself, I would agree that I think over the last several years, we've certainly seen an increase um, with just the knowledge base that mediation is a viable option for individuals as well as companies, um, whether or not arbitration is available. So it's wonderful to hear that you too, I've seen that just kind of on a global level and thinking about, you know, where we're even going from here. You yeah, know, we, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, one, I was just going to say one of the things that I think may have fueled that um, certainly in, in the U.S. and perhaps in other geographies as well, is um, more and more law schools are devoting uh, parts of their curriculum to ADR. So when lawyers are first starting their career, they are more familiar from the very beginning with some of the advantages that alternative dispute resolution brings. And that's a little different from, you know, some of the prior generations of lawyers where it might be something that they ran into during their career, but not not so much at the law school or at the associate level. That's fantastic to, to bring up and, you know, certainly interrupt me at any time because we want to hear from you. So, you know, thinking about even back in my law school days, conflict resolution, I remember um, it being offered, but to your point, it was one of the newer kind of offerings. Um, and now when I speak with younger students or certainly students who've come after me, they too have greater exposure or have taken conflict resolution, alternative dispute resolution courses as a part of their overall uh, program and curriculum. So we are certainly seeing a shift in overall awareness, but in then the transition into the practice area and building a really good pipeline um, for practitioners from the, from the starting point. Yes, agreed. You know, we know the ABA passed Resolution 113, which was adopted in, in 2016. And for those who don't know uh, Resolution 113, 
it was passed to urge legal service providers to create opportunities for diverse attorneys and buyers of legal services to direct a greater percentage of their legal spending toward diverse attorneys. So with an increase in mediation, arbitration, and ADR across practice areas, in, including my own family law, what role, if any, has diversity and inclusion played in the broadening landscape of alternative dispute resolution? It's a great question, Kimberly. One of the things that I have observed is legal industry-wide uh, diversity and inclusion has gotten a lot more focus. Um, and initially, I, I think, except for folks working in the ADR industry, um, ADR was a, a, a bit more kind of to the side of that conversation. A lot of the focus and articles you'd read in legal periodicals was around, you know, what was the, the percentages at, at, at law firms for, you know, women and people of color and, um, you know, other diversity categories and, you know, who was making partner who and who wasn't. And it was a lot of focus on that. Um, and one of the things that I've been involved with uh, pretty much since my whole time at JAMS, along with some others, is to try to expand that conversation to ADR as well. And, and that made sense for a number of reasons. I mean, one, as, as, as you know, so many you know, disputes, including business disputes, um, they don't get litigated, they do get settled. You know, they go to mediation or arbitration. So ADR is a, a huge part of the legal you know, ecosystem, ecosystem, excuse me. So it makes sense that if diversity is relevant in some of these other spheres that were being discussed, it should also be looked at in terms of who were companies and, and law firms using as their mediators or, uh, and arbitrators. Um, you know, there there have been a couple of you know catalysts I think over the years that have caused people to pay more attention to the ADR side of things. Okay. You know, there was one uh, you know high profile case you know a couple of years ago with uh, you know a celebrity uh, in, in the music industry that um, you know got a lot of press and I think caused a lot of people that really hadn't been thinking about it to to think about diversity you know within ADR as well. And you know, since then, I think there's been gradually more awareness of it, um, and I'm, I'm encouraged, you know, by that because there, there's definitely still a lot of opportunity out there, you know, in our particular part of the legal industry. So, from a marketing perspective, what should diverse neutrals who say are applying for positions as mediators and arbitrators look at when considering a position with a potential employer? Yeah, no, no, it's a great question. I'll, I'll kind of tackle it a couple of ways. Um, one, I would say um, just doing a bit of, of self-assessment. So um, similar to how one would seek out other uh, employment or vocational opportunities, you know, understand yourself in terms of what are you looking for? What kind of environment will you be comfortable with? Um, some people, um, you know, do well and feel comfortable being part of a larger organization where they might be, you know, one of three or 400 or, or, or more uh, neutrals, right? And then mm -hmm. others um, will flourish more in a smaller environment, a, a regional provider, or, or even um, hanging up their own shingle, so to speak. So just, just doing a bit of self-assessment and then also um, doing the research and talking to people in terms of 
you know, what are the, the skill sets that are going to be, you know, valued that is going to make a provider interested in you joining their panel and ultimately um, are going to make a, a user, um, you know, the person actually procuring your services um, select you to, to hear, those, hear the case. Okay. Um, and, and that can be any number of things, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, for yourself and, and your involvement in, in family law and those type of disputes. So obviously, you know, you built, built up a, a track record before that, before starting your own firm. Um, and similarly, for, for other folks, depending on the type of mediation or arbitration that they, uh, they want to do, just thinking about, you know, is it because I was a judge and I was on the bench and I, and I handled a lot of um, settlement matters or, or you know, uh, settlement processes during that time. If I was an attorney, um, was I an advocate in the room for a lot of mediations or arbitration? So I got a good feel um, for it. Do I have a particular practice area expertise as it relates to healthcare or employment disputes or insurance coverage? And, and really kind of doing that self-assessment to say, you know, what is it that I bring to the party? And even from a demeanor standpoint, I mean, one of the things that, that I often hear when people talk about how they found their way to ADR is that they realize that they were more wired to try to figure out how something could get resolved yes. than they were to going in that courtroom and winning at all costs, yes. right? And, and so part of it is not just skill set, but do I have the kind of you know, disposition that will um, lead to me being successful in this, in this category? Fantastic. I think, you know, certainly all of those things resonate with me and, and in looking forward and thinking about as a, you know, a diverse neutral, how my own kind of education and experience um, frames my work with uh, individuals and families. But then also thinking about, you know, when I look around at kind of the ADR landscape and, and think, you know, are we moving, say, in the right direction of increasing um, not just diversity, but inclusive, inclusivity, excuse me, um, as it relates to mediators and arbitrators sure. in this community, you know, wanting to really kind of understand, you know, where do we go, you know, where do we go from here? So from the perspective, say, of, of a company, um, doing marketing to diverse candidates or clientele, you know, what are things that say companies and organizations should be mindful of in attracting a client or um, a neutral to come work with them? Yeah, that's some great questions. I guess I'll start with that distinction that you made in terms of diversity and inclusion and actually diversity, equity and inclusion, because I think they're all, you know, important pieces of, of the goal. Um, and we spend uh, quite a bit of time talking about that within JAMS and, and more specifically, one way that a diversity goal can be pursued is to say, we're going to have uh, more diverse neutrals, you know, on our panel. And, you, okay. and you, you, you go out and you recruit. And as you alluded to, you find ways to convince people that, that your organization is someplace that they want to be. And, and that's a great first step because now, you know, you've, you've added folks and you can, you know, put them up on the website and say, okay, we, we are more diverse. It, it's really important for providers to not stop there because that is not 
um, or should not be the ultimate goal. And when we talk about inclusion, when we talk about equity, what happens with those uh, diverse neutrals once they do join the panel? Mm -hmm. To what extent are they getting selected for cases? To what extent are their practices growing? That needs to be, uh, you know, other barometers that are that are looked at to really assess what kind of progress that individual provider is making, and it's and that we're making um, as as an industry as a whole, as an ADR industry, and and that's frankly where is where some of the challenge has has been is okay. really on the uh, the selection side. That's really helpful, and you know. As we're talking, um, I would certainly be remiss to not discuss technology, right? With me in Illinois and you in California, not just as it relates to the impact on dispute resolution, but on the diversity efforts that you were just referencing, um, particularly when we think about inclusivity and the ability to kind of hook neutrals in or give them broader, um, you know, experience and exposure. So what impact would you say that technology has made in this regard? Sure. You know, I'll actually tie it back to, you know, the events of the last, I guess, 16, 18 months now. And obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, just, it's just been horrific in many ways and taking a toll on, on people and businesses. Yet, as is the case sometimes with, with tragedies, there, there are kind of positives that, that do wind up manifesting as, as well. And, and one of the things that I think is, is relevant you know, in this diversity discussion is the fact that the industry really has had to, to pivot to being comfortable with virtual technology. Okay. Practitioners have, have needed to quickly learn how to handle matters um, via Zoom or WebEx or some other platform. And clients have come to be much more comfortable with that, that, that a lot of these cases, well, at first couldn't be in person. And even going forward, in some cases, the preference is for them still to be handled um, virtually. And even as things you know, normalize a bit in terms of offices reopen and, and people being more comfortable moving about, um, Certainly, the folks at our company, and and I would say, um, probably even you know beyond other other players in the industry, would would say that the landscape has been you know altered, um, you know somewhat permanently, in that virtual is is going to be a big part of of the mix. And so, what does that mean for diversity? What does that mean for diverse practitioners? Well, previously. Uh, for most individuals, you marketed yourself or you were marketed within a certain geography. So if you were in Chicago, Kimberly, or if I was in Southern California, that was most of the people, certainly early in our careers, that we would be marketing to. Okay. We would be, you know, meeting them at, at conferences, you know, and, and events. Uh, we'd be, you know, hearing their cases um, in, our, in our offices. And then in some cases, gradually widening our, our footprint from there. Now with platforms like Zoom, um, I, as a marketing person, can market our panelists in a much broader geography. Um, and many users are now a lot more comfortable with considering people that don't have to be located in the same place, that, that's less of a factor where, where 
where the matter is happening. And they're open if, if the individual has the right qualifications to someone who might be clear on the other side of the country. So that really opens up a lot of opportunities. And I think the other uh, relevant piece from a diversity standpoint is you would often hear when you would talk to users, well, I would use more diverse mediators or arbitrators if, if, I, if I knew of more, right? Or if my outside firm you know, brought me more. Well, now that excuse really uh, goes away or, or certainly is uh, you know, much more valid because you can you know, hear about who's out there um, across a much you know, broader sphere. And certainly, can connect with them in the same way as if you would be connecting with somebody in your local community, given that a lot of um, matters are being handled virtually. So it does allow for greater exposure and you know, certainly greater flexibility. But to your point, the notion of, well, I didn't know of anyone or that person wasn't available in my area, I think those um, kind of excuses are going to have to go by the wayside, given that we have now the ability via technology and what has been proven over this last year to really have people from all over the country and even the world working together in ways that um, we weren't doing before. Absolutely. And, and one one example of that is just the, the large uptick in, in webinars and, and similar you know, events that have been happening you know, virtually. And what that allows folks to do is to um, be part of these events, um, whether they be at, as a speaker or a moderator or even as a participant, because even as a participant, it can be a networking opportunity. Lots of times these events will have breakout rooms where you can get in a smaller group. So. Um, in some ways, in even more effective fashion than you might have been able to do in kind of the, the former environment where you're going to a conference, there's, you know, 100 or more people at this conference, you may know some, you may not know many, and you're like, okay, how do I make connections? Right. In this case, you are seeing folks on the screen, you may be in a breakout, they're seeing you, you have a chance to put a great thought in the chat or ask a question. Um, oftentimes there are mailing lists or if nothing else, you could always kind of Google someone that you're saying, <laughs> hey, I really want to meet this person. So there are kind of new vehicles there um, for those um, looking to market themselves. And, and as I said before, other new vehicles for folks to say, aha, you know, Kimberly Cook, you know, I saw her on a webinar. It sounded like she would be great for this uh, family law matter um, that I have, let me send her a chat or send her a, a LinkedIn. So um, again, a lot of opportunities in this kind of next normal that we're moving into, but like anything else, it, it still depends on individuals to take action, right? The tools, the tools are there for us to use, but you still have to be proactive to, to make it happen. I could not agree more. So in that same kind of thought process, and you mentioned this last year, and it has been difficult on so many levels due to coronavirus, as well as the rise in social justice issues, particularly seen in the United States. You know, as we look back, but move forward, you know, what changes have you seen regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in the dispute resolution community? Well, I, I think to some extent, the dispute resolution community is a bit of a microcosm for 
you know, the legal industry and, and in fact, society at large, um, one could argue or, or at least hope that um, folks in, in our um, niche uh, may have been more attuned uh, just because, you know, dis dissolving, resolving disputes is, is, you know, what we do for a living. But, but I think uh, some of those events that, that you mentioned um, certainly had, you know, an imp impact on ADR um, as much as anyone. Um, just there were, there were a lot of good activities happening within providers, within the ABA section, the ABA overall, a lot of, you know, discussions and, and papers. And as you referenced up front, you know, even resolutions, and those are all, you know, good things. Uh, but I, I feel like the, the pace of change and the, the level of focus really picked up um, last year. I mean, let's, let's face it, no matter what industry you were in, uh, you knew that we were in a different time because every time you turn on your, your TV or your radio or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, pulled up a page online, you know, there was a period where, you know, social justice and Black Lives Matter and, you know, it, it was just kind of front and center. You, you couldn't, you, you didn't have the ability to, to kind of stick your head in the sand and ignore it even if, if you wanted to. Um, so, you know, that certainly has led to um, increased awareness for a lot of people. Obviously, there, there were a lot of folks that kind of knew certain things were happening, but for others, it was increased awareness. I think for many, uh, more introspection, you know, where am I um, and, you know, where am I personally? And if I'm a decision maker, if I'm someone of influence within my organization, what's my role? A lot more open conversation, um, I feel like has happened. And that's, that's true, certainly within our world. And I, I certainly saw that within my company. Um, curiosity, um, people, people became more curious that maybe hadn't paid as much attention to some of these issues before. And many of them went out and sought knowledge via books or uh, talking circles, discussion groups, things like that. And, and most importantly, um, we, we saw some, some action, right? And, and that had already started a bit with you know, some of the pledges and, and, and resolutions. And, and I think that's, that's important that folks kind of step out with those, those initiatives. Um, you know, I, I think of um, my own organization, JAMS, a couple of years ago, uh, we came out with our diversity arbitration clause, which gave those who were getting to enter into uh, an arbitration the ability to basically you know, stipulate that they wanted to receive a diverse uh, group of arbitrators to, to select from. Um, so that's another example of, of a concrete um, action that's, that's been taken in, in, in recent years. So uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by, you know, the, the increased level of, of focus. I think the key question, Kimberly, you know, for, for many people right now is, you know, is, is this a movement that will continue to drive change fo forward or is this a moment? Um, that, that I think is a key question. You know, there, this could be its own right podcast episode in and of itself because there's so much I agree that has happened in this last year and that continues as we, you know, over the last couple of weeks have seen kind of the rise in support of the 
um, Asian and Pacific Islander communities. And then we know there's really been kind of a real push in stand in support of the LGBTQ plus community. And of course, then, you know, Black Lives Matter. And it really feels very different than let's have a committee to just say we have a committee. So there is really a sense of we have to put action behind our words. And, you know, when thinking about things that we can act on, so whether that's an organization or someone who is an executive who's really looking to act or even, you know, an individual, you know, what would you say is a call to action in this way, um, you know, particularly in a community where we are about problem solving, we are about brainstorming and trying to find, you know, a solution to what can in many ways be a very difficult issue? Yes, you know, I would, I'll actually capsulize my, my thought in, in two words and then maybe unpack it a bit. I, I think my answer would be, uh, be bold. Um, I, I think what's going to make sure that it, it's not just a moment in time and real change happens is, is, is being bold. And you just think about the, the arc of history, um, you know, whether it's around, you know, social justice or, you know, suffrage movement and, you know, just, you know, so many things, um, you know, it, 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 the real action didn't happen, you know, just from this discussion and dialogue. I mean, those are certainly important pieces, but individuals and groups had to be willing to, to push the envelope a bit. And um, I don't mean being bold without, you know, being informed. I, I think listening is important um, and, and listening is how we learn and, and listening to each other is, is, is important. Um, at the same time, I think it is okay to, to, to push, uh, appropriately, you know, push from within your organization, you know, ask questions of, you know, your, your senior leaders, um, in whatever organization that you are. Um, and then if you're not in part of a large organization, if you are, you know, a, a sole, you know, practitioner, there's still, you know, questions that you can ask. You know, you could be part of uh, your local bar association chapter where you are having um, contact with with users um, or you know other significant stakeholders. You could you know ask questions of, you know, who do you use, and um, you know, do you have a do you have an idea of how the folks you use break down by gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation and you know, with all that sometimes may come, you know, a little discomfort or, you know, you may get a look of bewilderment, but that's okay. If that causes that individual to think a little bit more about it and, and go back and ask some questions, again, that's how change happens. So I'll just say, I think it's a time to, to be bold, you know, in, in an informed way, strategic way, but be bold nonetheless. I love that. Be bold. I, that's such a great takeaway for our listeners, for myself as a reminder to be informed, but challenge because sitting in a comfortable space doesn't make change. So we all need to ask questions and move forward and get uncomfortable at times. But being bold is certainly, I think, 
uh, something to keep at the forefront as of our minds as we move forward so that we do continue this as you know a movement um, and that it's not a moment. Mark, thank you so much for your time today and for JAMS's continued support of the ABA dispute resolution section. Where can our listeners find out more about JAMS? Sure, they can go to our website, jamsadr.com, and there's plenty of information about the company overall. And if they have particular interest in diversity, um, they can go to our diversity page and there's you know content there as well and information about some of our diverse neutrals. So that would be my suggestion. Um, we also have a, a, a LinkedIn page and a, a Facebook page as, as well. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to Resolutions. Please join us for other episodes as we engage in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community.